Welcome to episode 143 of District of Conservation. This is your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're on our third episode of the week, which is a little uncharacteristic, but because there are so many timely things happening, I figure I will broadcast as the news turns out. Today's episode is going to be my conversation with Avine Klein from Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. She is a returning guest. She and her colleague Ellery Tucker-Williams were previously on the podcast, but Avine wanted to chat about what's happening in California with respect to the black bear ban, what's happening federally, if sportsmen and women can be cautiously optimistic about what is happening in the federal government, and much more. You don't want to miss it. But I hope you enjoyed my interview with Lee Delange from GenPro Energy Solutions and yesterday's conversation with the fellows from Sportsman's Alliance. Tomorrow, you're going to hear me talk a little bit about Congressman Ted Lieu's bill, House Bill, House Resolution 405, which would direct the Interior Secretary to ban lead, tackle, and bullets on federal public lands. I believe it is Fish and Wildlife Service lands and some others, and the implications relating to that. And Friday, you're going to hear me debut my exclusive interview with a new member from the House Natural Resources Committee. I know I've been really bad about teasing these interviews, but if you turn into if you tune into tomorrow's podcast, I will name drop it there at the end of the podcast to build up some suspense for you guys. But Friday, we have a very special guest. If you stay and tune to the podcast, you're going to hear a lot of great guests coming forward. Here's my conversation with Avine Klein from Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. If you want to learn more about their organization, all information can be found in the show notes. I'm rejoined by Avine Klein from Congressional Sportsman Foundation. And before going live, we're recording this on Monday. It was just late breaking news that California Senate Bill 252 was defeated. And Avine and I were talking about this and how it's kind of an occasion to celebrate and uh, we want to talk about that and a whole host of other issues. But Avine, how do you and your organization, and I suspect you kind of uh, shared the sentiments of most people in the sporting community. How are you guys feeling right now that you have that weight taken off your shoulders, that bill has been removed by the key co-sponsor? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's a time for celebration in the sportsman's community and the hunting community as a whole right now. Um, As always, with anything during a legislative session, things can change. So we are uh, cautiously celebrating, you know, this could come back. um, But right now, this is a big win. The sportsman's community, the hunting community as a whole came together, not just in California, but we saw this bear hunting ban reach, you know, nationally, internationally, gaining attention very, very quickly, a big petition put together, I think 21,000 people signed to this and saying, we we oppose a bear hunting ban that's not backed by science. So right now, late breaking news tonight, uh, just before we scheduled the recording. So how fun uh, to be recording this with you. We are happy to see this bill pulled and the Senator's office recognizing this isn't the time. For the sports community, it won't be the time. It's never gonna be the time until there's science uh, to support that type of wildlife management. But right now, it's time to celebrate. Yeah, and the contention, I think anyone who can read, um, even if you're not really plugged into these issues, 
And I want to give obviously like due consideration to hunting opponents, but like you just read through his press release and the bill and it's so unfounded. All of his claims about bears being on the verge of extinction, imperiled, especially in California. The evidence actually shows the opposite in that management goals are not really met in California. So I think on a practical matter, he probably saw that his bill couldn't pass on the merits. Um, And also something we spoke to just before recording, you said that it's kind of a rare effort where all these different sporting and sportsmen's groups banded together. Some of them don't always see eye to eye on things. Some of them usually shy away from big hunt, big game issues. Uh, But we saw kind of a coalescing of all these different organizations coming together to voice their opposition to this. Could you speak to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. This, you know, this has been amazing to see the community come together the hunting community. This wasn't just the bear hunters who were fired up. Um, This was everybody and even non-hunters who came together to oppose this. You know, the the waterfowl groups were at the table, fishing groups were talking about this, beekeepers, you name it. This coalition grew to say, this is going to be, you know, a major impact to us. And I think the groups are starting to see this really, really positive direction um, to go and that's the sportsman's community recognizing if not me now me next right it started with mountain lions in 1990 and then it went to a ban on using hounds for bears for bear hunting and then last year 2019 excuse me was the bobcat hunting ban the, you know the animal rights community is trying to take this you know step by step piece by piece And we know, as you said, it's not based on the science. This was never about the bears and protecting the bears. This was never about um, kind of, you know, trying to present this like a, as as a scientific foundation. This was about hunting and more so this was a direct attack on the North American model of conservation and managing our wildlife for all and using that to move forward to to base our decisions and our management on the needs of the species. Now, this was a big revenue um, port for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, but this was not about the bears and protecting the bears. This was about hunting. This was about the North American model of conservation. Yeah, and it goes kind of contrary to everything we're seeing with this just surge of new hunting participants. And just, I suspect the the revenue that is going to come from all the license sales, guns and ammo will likely show a massive increase, especially from a year before, uh, just with all these new people coming in, people returning to hunting, regular hunters, all kind of these three categories of people coming in. And it just doesn't make any sense given how the trends are going, obviously with, with COVID still kind of looming overhead, people are still seeking the outdoors. Hunting is going to be a activity people are going to fall back on. Um, so, so obviously point, uh, trends point against, you know, any efforts to kind of strip away from the greater conservation aspect of hunting, strip away from hunting access, uh, that would it like you said, attack the North American model of wildlife conservation. So maybe some people are smarter. They're aware that hunters are on the alert and their allies are on the alert. And uh, maybe, maybe this is where we could have a real turning point, I think, in the greater discussion of hunting at large, even with something as controversial, but shouldn't be as controversial uh, with a bear hunt, a bear management program. 
Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You're right. Spot on. You know, a lot of people turned to hunting and fishing in the outdoors during COVID. This was such uncertain times. Scary for everybody. Lasted much longer. We've seen hunting and fishing license sales skyrocket across the country. So to say that hunting is outdated and the society doesn't support it is just, you know, factually inaccurate. Uh, and that's what this community, the hunting community, the sportsman's community as a whole prides ourselves on is recognizing when there is a need to do something, then we take action. Uh, that's through science-based management of our species and our ecosystems. The bear hunt proposed in California was just not founded on science and we cannot support that. And if we do, then we lose that there, right? That's taking one leg out of a three-legged stool and the whole North American model of conservation is gone, right? That's gonna tip over. We've seen in the last you know, 30 years, the bear population in California go through the roof. I think it was almost a 200% increase. And you know, we have one point, almost $1.4 million was generated last year for the Department of Fish and Wildlife um, based on bear tags. And in California, we have the you know, big game management fund and bear tag sales go into that fund. And that's not just for the management of bears, but a, wild, a wide variety of wildlife conservation projects um, that benefit other big game species, you know, including deer and elk and antelope, looking at migration quarters, you name it. That fund is there for the department to do larger projects, not just for bears. And for a long time, California has been, you know, we have an overpopulation of bears and, and you can hear the stories. I can tell you a personal story about bear encounters in, Cal in California, especially in Tahoe, where you hear about it most. But we had, you know, 30,000, upwards of more than 30,000 bear tags issued in the last season, 2020. Um, and we have an allotment for 1,700 bears to be taken. Once that number has been reached, because we have to report that to the department, they close the season. Only 919 bears were taken in 2020. So based on the science-driven data for proper management of bear species by the department, by the experts, say we are well below um, kind of a, a manageable, sustainable population. And so we're seeing a whole lot of issues here about all the stories of, you know, bear break-ins in Tahoe being more and more and more aggressive. And I've seen that in my lifetime. Um, my family has a cabin on the west shore of Lake Tahoe we have for many generations. And I remember as a kid, we were able to have, you know, just bare, you know, trash cans that were out on the street. And then it became to, you know, okay, we've got to have, you know, a bungee cord over the plastic Rubbermaid lid when you put it out on the street for trash day. And then those became into, okay, you need to have them chained to a tree because bears started going, well, now we have full-blown locked up bear boxes, you know, use an Allen wrench for the key and they have to be locked. If they're not, the bears will get into that. Um, and even just in the past three years until we were able to put bear wires, it came out the kind of technology to put bear wires on the cabin windows. We had two or three bear break-ins. Um, you know, they're in there, they get into the cabin, bear scats everywhere, 
They ripped through all the cupboards, ripped through the refrigerator. Uh, my grandpa went up one time with his dog. He was by himself. Um, he was in, I think, early 80s at the time. So that was a scary situation for us. He got to the cabin. A bear cub was still in the cabin. So that tells us mama is somewhere near. Thankfully, she wasn't there when my grandpa got there. Uh, and the bear ran upstairs, broke out the window, and climbed down. So you know, they're just becoming less and less afraid of human contact up in the Tahoe area. And that's what you hear about. That's not about hunting, right? And so this, this bill that was just pulled, that was a direct attack on, on hunting as a whole. And that was, uh, you know, one leg of the North American model of conservation. I remember videos, obviously, of bear sightings in California. I mean, I'm from there too, Southern California, like we talked about before. But I hadn't really seen any bears myself, except maybe for the zoo and uh, a certain other maybe encampments or um, wildlife refuges that were kind of open to the public. But yes, uh, people forget that they are quite common and uh, they are at healthy numbers. And it's a sign of success of obviously the management program, rehabilitation efforts. And it kind of reflects just the greater conservation stat- uh, status of black bears as a whole. And here in Virginia, where I relocated to almost a decade ago, the black bear population is super healthy. And I have some worries, you know, that they may put this type of bill here. I mean, you, you give them opportunities, they're going to do this. And I think the the lesson to take away from this is obviously California is an incubator for very bad legislation, especially on these issues. <laughs> and um, I think people recognized if they didn't have an input on this and, and help defeat it, that if it were to pass in California, be signed into law, then it would just filter out repl- uh, bills that kind of echo a lot of the sentiments would filter out to all the different states and then just really ruin conservation in, in, in all the other capitals as well. And then people see these incremental bans, not very seriously, but it could obviously affect um, other programs in different states where bear hunting is very vibrant and highly encouraged. Um, out on the East Coast, you find it often. And, uh, and, and yeah, like, and uh, yeah, it would, it would be, I think on a precedent level, it would be super bad uh, to see that pass. So I think that's what people's worries were. And that's why I feel like they banded together. And hopefully, I mean, even though with the images of bears being cute and cuddly, and I don't think anyone disputes that. I have a probably deep reverence for bears. I love bears. I like to photograph them if I get an opportunity. <laughs> I would love to hunt a black bear too, uh, because like I had mentioned, Virginia has a very vibrant population. It would be kind of cool to to do. It's not just for the, the kill shot. Like I actually eat the meat uh, anytime. I think most of us hunters do eat the meat of anything we harvest, but I've had black bear meat. It's really delicious. I've had it in sausage form, stew form, and they they do need to be managed because of just interactions with other individuals in their herds, how that can become problematic. They can prey on other more vulnerable, weaker bears. Uh, too many in a carrying capacity, problems for everything, habitat, population, et cetera, human bear conflicts. So I think, and I don't know if the hunting industry at large is going to do maybe like video storytelling efforts to kind of showcase this a bit better, um, to show that you can have that dual belief, you know, of managing them through hunting, but also showcasing that you care for them. But hopefully people will start to to do that a bit more and showcase, you know, this is founded in science and it is a model to emulate in most states, I would say, do that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, California is a 
is a litmus test for uh, legislation across the country, especially when we're talking about anti-hunting mm-hmm. kind of animal rights activists, you know, the environmental community who you know seeks the protection rather than conservation or the preservation versus conservation arguments that you know every, we talk about in this community all the time. And and this bill was truly an example about that litmus test. Like let's, you know, let's test the waters. Um, you know, this bill was was sponsored by the Humane Society. There's your first red flag. Second, it was introduced uh, and authored by Senator Scott Weiner out of San Francisco. Uh, I've been to San Francisco a number of times, a lot of times. Can tell you there's not a bear population uh, in the city of San Francisco that they're having problems with. Not in recent years, maybe yeah. era, <laughs> but probably not. I'm probably. Well, then the question begs, you know, okay, well, you're not legislating for your constituents because they don't have a problem with the bears. Right. Had this been a legislative district that represents Lake Tahoe or, you know, further portions of of, uh, Northern California where we see a lot of these issues, um, these conflicts, these depredations, where where these depredation tags are needed, um, you know, that would be one thing. But when it comes from somebody from San Francisco, sponsored by the Humane Society, it's not backed by science. We said this is testing the waters. They want to see we can do it in California. Well, then we're going to start trickling this introduction into other states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that really was kind of what it was about there. And we knew they used kind of the same old hunting rhetoric, the trophy, like you're talking about. Can we, as the hunting community, do a better job? of carrying the message about bear hunting because what we saw in press releases from the Humane Society and other supporters of the bill was that this was protecting against trophy hunting. And I said, well, no, we, you know, as as hunters, we consume, you know, what we harvest and through a bear stew, can we do a better job at doing that and saying, this is great, bear sausage, Um, you know, all of these things moving forward, this is a you know, bear is not a trophy animal. Um, and they're trying to create that narrative. And it's, uh, we need to do a better job of combating that. Um, and, you know, talking about the locavore movement, teaching all of these new hunters, these COVID hunters, um, you know, really what this community is about. And it is a respect for the animal. It is a respect for the entire ecosystem. And that, you know, providing the examples that show that when time comes and management, more aggressive management is needed, close seasons early, reduced numbers, well, then we're okay with that. But right now in California with the bear population, our black bears, that was not ready for a ban. Not a big ban, not a little ban, uh, you know, not, not reducing our ability to to hunt bears in California. And we already can't use hounds. You can't bait bears here in California. If you see a bear during hunting season, well, you're lucky. I can tell you, I've gone out a number of times with the deer tag and you don't see a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time you don't see a shootable deer and, and but, uh, you know, I don't have enough points in the system to be in, in the great buck zones. But, um, you know, that was, this was a litmus test bill. Um, you know, we heard, I heard t- um, today, actually, 
we've been talking about trying to find the information um, that the Humane Society published saying that they did a survey and that 70% of Californians, you know, oppose um, bear hunting, that they don't support that, you know, from a societal viewpoint. And um, we found a couple people were actually given the survey and it was back to December of 2019. Um, somebody that we spoke to got that survey. So this, they've been trying to control this narrative for a long time, seeing if they, you know, when was the right time to put this bill in? I think they thought that this year was gonna do it after they were successful on the Bobcat ban. And I am just really, really excited about the hunting community and the way they came together and took swift action up front. I think a lot of times we end up, you know, fighting these bills with every ounce that we have down to the finish line. We were able to get out in front of this and put it on the radar and have the Senator recognize very early that this was not going to pass, not even close. Yeah. Small little victory for now. Uh, but is there anything else that is kind of percolating on your mind legislation-wise? There's a lot federally, kind of. It's more firearms-related. Uh, but maybe something we can talk about. We we touched upon this in our last interview with Ellery. Um, but now that we have a new administration, we see actually among the initial executive orders, the 30 by 30 recommendations have been encouraged. So talk about it from a federal standpoint and what that is. And obviously, given the fact that the California bill was defeated, are there still those similar concerns that you had expressed uh, from the California bill also percolating in the 3030 plan federally? And I've also seen the hunter and angler response to it. And it's certainly mixed uh, according to the different factions. But what is happening on that front? And I know it's being discussed more, but is there more discussions about it? Are there concerns uh, being sounded according to this? Um, are they really having sportsmen and women in the conversation when it comes to uh, whether or not they want to section off 30% of waters and lands? Yeah, and since we've talked, you know, that was our, that was our last topic. And man, we were in the, you know, fight of our life here in California, seeing this, you know, the 30 by 30 movement as a potential threat to, you know, public access for hunting and fishing opportunities, which is why, you know, we stuck up for ourselves there, right? And if you remember, the sportsman's community as a whole came together. That was an amazing effort. I saw that replicated again here with the bear ban. Um, but the sportsman's community stepped up, stepped up together and said, you know, we're, here's our united front. And we took an opposed and less amended position asking the author say, hey, we can support 30 by 30, but we can't support it as it's written. You know, we don't know what that means. Can, is this going to, you know, diminish our access opportunities? Is this going to become a preservation bill um, once this gets into the regulatory arena and give, um, you know, our, our agencies the ability to just shut off large swaths of land um, or ocean waters for uh, for public access. And so those were our concerns. And the bill, AB 3030, um, it, it didn't pass in the legislature, but uh, the California governor, just shortly after the bill, uh, the bill failed, he issued an executive order 
30 by 30 executive order, even acknowledging um, acknowledging that the bill didn't pass the legislature. So we were scratching our heads over here. We were pleased to see that some of the things that the sportsman's community had asked for in the legislature um, were included. And that included number first, and you know, I think some of the most important part of that was what is 30%? Is that 30% more? What does it mean to protect? And so the executive order in California then required the agencies to do a baseline assessment and define protection. What does this mean? What does conservation mean in the lens of protecting 30% of our lands and waters? So we're grateful to see that um, those efforts are forthcoming. We're working on um, adjusting the, you know, fine tuning the definition of conservation in the lens of 30 by 30. And the other thing that we saw in California was that hunting and angling groups were specifically called out for inclusion in the stakeholder process. There was just last week um, kind of a webinar hosted by the California Natural Resources Agency Secretary um, talking about what the next steps were for 30 by 30, how we can be engaged. And, you know, I think they're doing a good job of, of trying to make sure that everybody's voice is heard, what that's going to look like in the future, you know, as long as we have a seat at the table, this hunting community, the fishing community, the sportsman's community as a whole continues to step up, has our voice heard, well, then we're going to be in a better uh, better place. And then, as you mentioned, with a new administration coming in, we just saw that 30 by 30 and the executive order issued is, is on the plate, is on President Biden's plan. So 30 by 30, right, this is why the sportsman's community recognized that if we don't get out ahead of this, then we're gonna be left in the dust and we will be irrelevant and we could lose hunting and fishing access opportunities. And so the sportsman's community banded together, not the whole community, but I think 12 or 13 um, of our major national organizations banded together to say, let's do a sportsman's community standpoint. And if your state or federally want to consider a 30 by 30 policy, great. You know, we've been the first ones there protecting our ecosystem um, and our animals and, and their habitat for years and years and years and paying into this, but we need to be recognized. And so we created huntfish3030.com. You can read the hunting community's uh, actual official statement. You can sign on to that if you would like to become um, an organization that that's also included in the statement, or there's also an individual petition and saying that, you know, if we're going to go protect 30% of our lands and waters, well, the sportsman's community needs a seat at that table, and here's what we could support from that policy. And so you can find all of the information there on the website, publicly available, uh, and I hope, hope folks take advantage of that. And we'll keep updating that as as more 30 by 30 policies are considered across the country. Has the administration shown a willingness to engage with organizations like yours on this issue? And if hunters and anglers are shut out from the conversation about this framework, you had mentioned obviously that uh, the key funders of conservation won't have a say. Doesn't that put the whole industry in jeopardy and if they do that i mean regardless if you're republican or democrat your political standing i think that could have serious ramifications because 
my worry is that you could see in an administration like this really lean on preservationist interests. We see this in energy. I'm not sure if we're going to see this in the conservation sector, but I worry that our our voices are not going to be heard necessarily. But am I am I wrong to assume that? Ha- has there been any outreach by the new administration to organizations like CSF and others? Are they starting to hear sportsmen and women concerns? I know he campaigned and had an organizational uh, front, um, mostly retired fish and wildlife people, and he put out some statements and obviously talked about thirty thirty and some other issues. But is there? Any opportunities to engage with them? Are they going to hear sportsmen and women, you think? Yeah, that's a, you know, it's a good point. And, and we have had those conversations, right? The, the new executive order from the Biden administration is, is so new and what that's going to look like, um, you know, that being recognized as a priority. Once it's an executive order, what, is, what does it actually look like? How do we achieve this? And that's going to come down to the cabinet members. Um, and as we were... As we released huntfish3030.com and the sportsman's community statement on 30 by 30 policies, um, Representative Deb Holland, who is the, you know, the cabinet pick, of course, for uh, the Department of the Interior, her office reached out to CSF and some other of our partners to say, we recognize that you deserve a seat at the table. Let's keep this communication kind of open and moving forward. So I'm optimistic about that um, and, you know, kind of the recognition there that hunters and anglers really do play a key role in conservation. And right now, you know, we're the, we're really the funders of that. We're the backbone. And going back to California, I think we're almost 25% of our budget on the state side comes from hunting and fishing in the American system of conservation funding. So, you know, I, I do I'm optimistic moving forward. Um, you know, the sportsman's community is going to have to, you know, stay at the plate though, because we just say, oh, great. They've recognized that. Well, if we're not demanding a seat at the table, then we could lose it. But the sportsman's community has really come together, at least what I've seen in the past couple of years, recognizing this and saying, we've got to stick up for each other. We can't just stay in our siloed world where if the, issue only impacts mule deer or the issue only impacts waterfowl. Well, that's the only time you're going to hear our voice. Um, I think we're recognizing that this is a, needs to be a community effort. Um, and issues like California's AB 3030 um, and the bear hunting ban, seeing that come together has really, really been great. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little concerned by some of the, likely secretary picks uh, associations and some of her comments about hunting. We really don't know much about her stance, her connection to Raul Grijalva, chairman of house natural resources committee, who's very anti-hunting concerns me. So hopefully when nomination hearings come about, maybe she'll clarify her stances. Maybe she'll prove to be a participant and kind of shy away from maybe some past positions she's held. But I really do hope that they do continue to have sportsmen and women at the table, because if they're going to just appease uh, the hikers, bikers who don't necessarily contribute much to conservation funding, it's going to look very kind of ridiculous and also 
um, not reflect exactly how how key conservationists play their role. But is there anything else that we should be kind of concerned about? Anything more positive and hopeful? I know we've talked about two very heavy subjects, obviously. Uh, but is there anything on CSF's mind, um, how people can get involved? Is there any effort or things to pay attention to? Any bills that are kind of crossing your guys's radar going forward? Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. And, you know, like I said, we have to be sports-based community needs to remain cautiously optimistic on, you know, the federal side and, and Representative Holland, you know, potentially being the interior secretary and, and some of those ties being, like I said, cautiously optimistic, knowing the things that we doubt, um, but being grateful for the opportunity and the outreach, um, kind of presenting ourselves, you know, as, as the true conservationist, America's original conservationist, and taking that turn back. I think there's been an effort lately to kind of take that term away from us and using, you know, biodiversity. That's our big, you know, red button term right now, right? That's the hot button issue um, that we've done that. The sports community has been at the plate. We've been concerned about protecting biodiversity for as long as we've been hunting and fishing. You see that in state wildlife action plans uh, that each state does and that have to have that as a requirement to receive LWCF funding. So there's, you know, we're there and we need to just control the message. Keep showing up to the plate, keep presenting a unified front where we can, um, and just just having our voice heard, um, right? Biodiversity and conservation, that's not just an environmental uh, focus. That, that's part of the hunting world too. That's part of the fishing world. Uh, and that we care about that. So I think staying up to the plate right now, sessions across the, you know, I work on the state policy side of, of CSF and bills are starting to be introduced, you know, flying by the seat of our pants. You've mentioned firearms. We always see, you know, firearms and ammunition um, issues and concerns, especially when you have an administration change um, and we've gone over to uh, Democrat in, in the White House. And so there's always concerns there. CSF um, will maintain, you know, our fight on behalf of sportsmen and women across the country. Uh, we're on the ground in state capitals as much as we can virtually in this world right now. We have a federal team who focuses on those issues and that there's not going to be an issue that we aren't tracking. Um, and there's not going to be an issue that we won't engage on on behalf of the sportsman's community. And you, know, you can follow CSF on our social media platforms. You know, we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can take advantage of our free um, tracking the capital system. If you're interested in legislation, you're interested in policy, and you want to watch what's going on you know, in a specific state, or a specific region, or at the federal level, you can do that. And we offer that service for free. It's called, again, Tracking the Capitals. You can find that on our website at congressionalsportsmen.org. And you can plug in policy topics, uh, click that, and they'll be delivered directly to your email. Um, you can also sign up for um, the Sportsman's Voice. That's our weekly uh, newsletter that talks about kind of our high-level um, policy priorities across um, across the country, divided by region, where you know folks like me and my team members, our state's program team, talk about what the hot button issues are. So 
you can register for that on our website as well. And that's free. Ever the resourceful person. Avine, this has been so much fun chatting and, and rejoicing over the fact that this really bad bill uh, failed to materialize for now and that we want to remain cautiously optimistic about just the changing landscape in Washington. Thank you again so much for joining me on the podcast. I think people are going to take away your information really well. You're probably one of the most eloquent speakers on these issues. So I'm really grateful that you always come on a second time coming around on the podcast. And if we can continue this conversation, I would absolutely love to do that. And uh, please keep me posted here in Washington, I guess, about what you guys are up to. Please stay connected. And uh, hopefully we get to interface sometime in person in the coming year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. It's always um, so great to be on with you. And, um, you know, I I appreciate the opportunity. And I'm glad that we had this um, scheduled for tonight and just following the news of California Bear Band Bill. Uh, being pulled. What a what a fun way to kind of summarize what was happening because it was a looking a little doom and gloomy there, right? As soon as that bill dropped, uh, what a great, fast, swift action taken by the sportsman's community, um, and a good good victory for now.